Welcome to Third Country Radio on BFF.FM, Best Frequencies Forever. Connor and Katie here once again for two more hours of musical delights. And all this month we have been playing some of our favorite spooky Halloween-esque, mysterious folk horror, all sorts of weird genre music. To uh, celebrate uh, one of our favorite times of the year, um, the the coming of autumn and uh, one of the best holidays of the year, that is of course Halloween. And uh, we kick things off there with This Is Halloween from a movie which you would not necessarily call horror, though it certainly has some creepy elements to it. And uh, that is of course The Nightmare Before Christmas, uh, Danny Elfman uh 
doing some remarkable work as per usual uh, on that um, holiday classic right there. Absolutely. it's. A, I think that was like one of the first movies that I really saw that was Halloween themed. Mm. Um, growing up, my parents were not, I mean, when I say they were not into Halloween, it's not like I was forbidden from, from celebrating it. Uh, every year when I was in grade school, my mom made amazing, elaborate, wonderful costumes. Um, you know, she's, she was, she's, an artist, so of course, you know, uh, she was always very excited to, to try out new things. I wanted to be Cleopatra one year, she made me that. Um, she Aww. made a rose costume for me one year. Mm-hmm. Um, all kinds of very cool stuff, but uh, but for you know, it, it was not like the a, the big celebration, especially that we see today. Um, my mom's more of a Christmas person, so uh, so not a, and not a horror movie fan, mm-hmm. um, as I am not. Um, but, uh, there's just something like really fantastic about, uh, about Nightmare Before Christmas. I was just kind of fascinated by the juxtaposition and, and I, I enjoy claymation. Mm. Um, my, my dad has always been fascinated by animation of, of all, in all, of all types. So I remember watching like claymation with him. And when I saw, you know, the trailers for this movie, I was like, oh my gosh, I have to see that. So we went to see it and, and it was really my... I, I don't want to necessarily say that it was like my first encounter with dark stuff, but definitely kind of my first encounter with like, I guess you could say goth imagery. I'm not sure how mm. you want to, how you want to put it, but like that kind of that very Burton-esque style. Mm, that Burton-esque, um, macabre, um, sort of, uh, expressionist, um, um, kind of visual representation that, that has kind of always colored uh his work you know whether it be um you know um you know the batman movies or or his later work even even like more quote-unquote family friendly stuff like big fish or or um the charlie and the chocolate factory movie that he made they all have that weirdness about him about you know about about the work and um even though he even though he did not direct uh, Nightmare Before Christmas. Uh, his his hands are kind of all over it. Yeah, I think the uh, the movie was originally based on some sketches that he did when he was an animator for Walt Disney. Mm. He worked on The Fox and the Hound. Apparently, that was the movie that broke him. Uh, I remember reading. I, I got super into Burton after I saw Nightmare Before Christmas when I was in like what junior high, mm. and uh, so I started reading, you know, books and stuff and interviews. And and if I remember correctly, he said he's like he's like I couldn't do it like like you know minimum of eight hours every day drawing little doe-eyed foxes. It's just like <laughs> and it was it was around that time that he uh, that and he he did make a short movie for for Disney called Vincent. Oh yes, um, about a a young boy who does kind of a, a Frankenstein. Uh, type experiment on uh, the family dog after the family dog sadly passes mm. away and he was very excited and Disney was like this is a little dark for what we normally do <laughs> um, so he struck out on his own from then mm. uh, speaking of small dogs just briefly if you hear um, thumping and bumping noises or mysterious janglings or mysterious flapping noises uh, that is not a ghost or poltergeist we are watching uh, a, a family friend's dog. Mm-hmm. He is very, very sweet and also very playful. So <laughs> any noises that you hear uh, are, are probably him. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, any bumps in the night here or uh, rotter bumps in the early morning uh, as, uh, as, as we find you here uh, early on Thursday. Uh, they are not caused by uh, ghouls or goblins. They are caused by a little, a little yappy dog. Uh, <laughs> We love him, though. Um, 
but uh, basically this week is the last episode we're going to be ha- having uh, in in this month of October and we thought it would be fun to uh, play some of our favorite tracks and pieces of music from um, some of our favorite you know TV shows movies and video games that that explore horror or uh, supernatural elements uh, so uh, you know you just heard um, that track from the Nightmare Before Christmas uh, you're gonna be hearing uh, pieces from uh, the Exorcist from uh, the video game Castlevania Symphony of the Night uh, and uh, we've even managed to get Donovan onto the show um, <laughs> um, it, this is gonna be an interesting um, sort of show to do because while I have long been a fan of horror ever since my teens and and today watching sort of modern day horror movies um I I know Katie you've you've never been big into horror horror movies though you do enjoy films that films and TV shows that that kind of explore the supernatural and and the strange yeah I've always been kind of a big fan I remember uh, when I was very young uh, being like by turns terrified and fascinated by unsolved mysteries, mm. uh, specifically the, this stuff that you know dealt with uh, paranormal um, paranormal activity, which uh, would have disappointed the host Robert Stack, who kind of saw that show as almost like a public service, you know, like catching mm. catching criminals and find you know reuniting people with lost family and things like that. But um, but there was that uh, obviously the X Files. Mm. Um, you know, which was not a, a documentary, but, you know, kind of dealt in, in those similar themes. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know what it is. I'm not really a, you know, I'm not really a, like a, a blood and gore slasher, you know, horror movie type person. But, you know, we've, we've discussed on the show that, uh, you know, certain vampire movies I find yeah. very interesting. Um, I love paranormal podcasts. There's one, uh, Noctivigant, that I listen to pretty religiously. Mm. Um, and if you if you believe in the paranormal, I've, I've had several brushes lived in a haunted house went to ohio university which uh, go bobcats but uh, if you if you know anything about ohio university one of the big things about it is that it's supposedly haunted and uh when i when i went there i was like yeah okay sure you know haunted university i'm sure every university has that and then and then at, at a certain point you're just like yeah there's something going on here that goes beyond <laughs> just just stories there's enough weirdness that is not easily explained that uh, that there must be something going on so so yeah uh big big fan of paranormal stuff and i know that you're also a big fan of of vampires uh you know we, we both know we both enjoy uh only lovers left alive and we're both big fans of the adaptation of interview with a vampire starring brad pitt and tom cruise um but have you ever seen Francis Ford Coppola's adaptation of Dracula. I, I did once, yes. Yeah. Um, a good friend of mine, Jean, uh, she... I, I don't even know how we got on the subject of that particular movie. I think we were talking about the, the Simpsons Halloween special where they parodied it. Oh, yeah. And I, I mentioned to her, you know, I've seen that parody, and I, I understand the tropes from it. I understand what they're making fun of. But I've never actually seen the source material. She's like, well, we need to fix that. And that movie is... It's it's beautiful and haunting. Mm. Uh, one thing that really struck me was the costume design. I cannot remember the name of the costume designer. I know she's a Japanese designer, mm. uh, but just the you know the, the the costumes that she did for that, the makeup effects, 
Um, it's a, it's very, very stylized. Yeah. And I know not a lot of people like, well, I shouldn't say not a lot of people like that. I know there was kind of a divide. There were some people who were like, oh, wow, this is really cool. And some people who were like, eh, like, did we really need to go this far? <laughs> like, this is getting a little silly, a little camp. Yeah. But, but I, I really enjoyed it. Mm. And wasn't, was Tom Waits in that? Am I remembering that correctly? Uh, was he Renfield? Yes, yes. Yes. He plays Renfield. He plays a delightfully icky Renfield in... <laughs> In that movie, and and you're right, like it, it's 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 wonderfully stylized. I, I am I am on the that side of the divide that that loves the kind of campy aspects of it from time to time, which could very much have gotten away from 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 the uh, from the crew if it hadn't been for like the really great cast. And, and a really great director kind of helming the whole thing. Just just going to put it out there, uh, the, the Gary Oldman, I am wearing a, a gray top hat and tiny sunglasses and, yep. and look very, very stylish and put together. That I, I appreciated that yeah. as, a, <laughs> as a connoisseur. <laughs> well, uh, as well as being fans of the look of the movie and, and, and the acting, um, the soundtrack is also very, very good. Yes, it is. And uh, we're very happy to present uh, one track from that right right now, uh, coming from the uh, original motion picture soundtrack for Bram Stoker's Dracula. This is Vampire Hunters.
liver and tingling as well That delicate, luscious, ambrosial smell Yes, they are, I can tell Well, ladies and gentlemen That aroma enriching the breeze Is like nothing compared to its succulent sauce The gourmets among you will tell you, of course Ladies and gentlemen, you can't imagine a rapture in store Just inside of this store Sample Mrs. Lovett's meat pies, savoury and sweet pies, as you'll see. You who eat pies, Mrs. Lovett's meat pies, conjure up the treat pies used to be. One for the gentleman here, the bird is cheaping, helps to keep it cheery. Toby, throw the old woman out. What's my secret? Frankly, dear, forgive my candor family secret. All to do with us. Things like being careful with your coriander. That's what makes the gravy grander.
some wonderful music from some truly wonderful movies. You're listening to Third Country Radio here on BFF.FM, Best Frequencies Forever, a three-song set, as we so often do here on this show. We started that off with Vampire Hunters from Bram Stoker's Dracula, the original motion picture soundtrack. After that, you heard God That's Good from Sweeney Todd, the demon barber of Fleet Street. That was from the film, uh, not the not a Broadway recording, so that was the the film, uh, Tim Burton film. Mm. And then after that, you heard possibly one of the most famous horror movie songs that did not was not written mm. for for a horror movie. Uh, that was, of course, Tubular Bells from The Exorcist, a movie that I have not seen, and that everybody that knows me well, when I mention that I haven't seen it, they they immediately go, "Well, you you probably wouldn't like it." Yeah, you, yeah, that much is true. I have seen The Exorcist. I have seen The Exorcist more than once, which was probably more than I had to. That is not a uh, disparaging comment. Uh, I, I'd, I want to clarify. The Exorcist has a, a reputation that is very well earned. It is a remarkably good horror movie. It is at times terrifying, even today, even even to to those of us who are jaded and have lived through the the years of Saw and Hostel and and their various ripoffs and and countless Exorcist ripoffs. The the Exorcist itself is still a a very disturbing and very fascinating movie. Um, but it is the sort of film that you really only need to see once uh, to 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 really just to get everything you need to get out of it. It is it is one of those films that does stay with you. And uh, speaking as both a fan of the horror genre and your loving husband, I can guarantee you it's not a movie that you want to see. <laughs> Thank you. I remember they, they re-released it when I was in college mm. and a bunch of my friends were going to go see it. And I remember thinking to myself, you know, I really don't want to see this movie, but all my friends are going and I don't want to be the odd one out. I don't want to be, you know, the, the kind of the party pooper who's like, oh, I don't want to go see it. I don't like scary movies. So I was kind of psyching myself up mm. for like, all right, you know, we can go do this. And I was talking to Gene, the person who showed me mm. uh, Dracula, but Bram Stoker's Dracula. And I was like, yeah, you know, like, I, yeah, I'll go see it. And she was like, do you want to see it? Mm. And I was truthful. I said, well, not not particularly. Like, I've seen clips from it, and it looks very intense. It does not look like a movie that I personally would enjoy. But I also understand, because uh, one, of, one of our friends was making a big, you know, big deal out of, like, oh, it's a classic of cinema. It's like, you know, this, this mm. great horror movie from the 70s. And, and you know, wanting to appear cultured and, and you know, well-rounded. I was like, well, you know, if it's, if it's one of the... If it's a film classic, if it's, you know, something that, that every you know, cultured person should see at least once in order to, you know, count themselves as a well-rounded fan of cinema, <laughs> I guess I'll go. Uh, and, and fortunately, I have wonderful friends. Mm. I don't know how I got so lucky, but I have very wonderful friends, one of them being Jean, who said, you know, you don't have to go if you don't want to go. Mm. And I'm just going to tell you right now, I really don't think you'd enjoy yourself. Mm. So everybody else went, I think she might have... I can't recall if she stayed to hang out with me or what, but ba basically, like she she understood why I wanted to go. You know, you wanted to be with my friends. Yeah. So so we worked it out that I think I think we worked it out that like some people hung out with me <laughs> at the coffee shop while everybody else went to go see The Exorcist. But uh, but long story short, have not seen it. 
uh, have seen the clip where she does the the spider climb down oh, the stairs. Yeah, and yeah. I, I, like seeing that, I'm just like, no, no, that, that 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 I think I got the gist of it. That's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think you need <laughs> don't to, need to see anything else. Yeah, you don't. There, there. <laughs> it it does not get any. It does not get any any easier to watch from there. Yeah. Um, Although uh, there's a a person on YouTube named Todd in the Shadows, mm. and if you enjoy music, I highly recommend seeking out his channel because mm. he does. Uh, one Hit Wonderland is one of the shows he does. He does something called Train Records, which is about, you know, kind of failed follow-ups or like the worst album that a band has done. But every year for Halloween, he'll do, you know, kind of one hit wonders dealing with Halloween. And he actually did, most recently, Tubular Bells and talked about how the two things that kind of stuck out to me. First, the director chose it because he wanted something that could could kind of sound a little bit like a lullaby, mm. but was unsettling because, yeah. you know, for obvious reasons. And that's the tubular bells definitely fits the bill at least the short version the longer version you know mm. kind of goes off into some very interesting places that that's the interesting thing like uh the, the track we just heard is is called tubular bells but it's actually only about like a three or four minute section of what is like a, a 25 minute long yeah. piece in fact it, it, it's so long that it's broken into two parts uh to fit on on an lp yeah uh so it's it's it, it, it's quite fascinating that you know the, the William Friedkin, the director of The Exorcist, like look, you know, heard heard that one section, you know, which, yeah. which doesn't actually have any tubular bells in it. And, well, it does the little does clank. It? Oh, it, oh, yeah. Really? Remember, because he talked about oh, how yeah. he like took these. The reason that you see that symbol of the tubular bell, which is a it's a it's a metal tube. It mm. is tuned to a certain resonance. It has a bell-like sound. You often see them in orchestras, and they're often used in film scores. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, he he bent them and twisted them so they just made that clank noise. Um, but uh, I, I did not mean to interrupt. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the the second thing that I thought that he brought up that I found rather interesting uh, is that part of the reason that the song is so unsettling is because the time signatures are kind of all over the place. Mm. And I think Mike Oldfeld when he when he first recorded this or first wrote this, he was in his like what late teens? He was like eighteen or something he, like that. He was quite young. He was he was something of a of a young virtuoso. He he recorded uh, this remarkable sort of artsy uh, mood music. Yeah, <laughs> and um, yeah, he was quite young at the time. Like recording this stuff in his late teens, in his early twenties. Uh, and uh, it, it that was that was very fascinating to to, to learn like just how uh, like how talented and how much knowledge he had and how much he was already playing with music and and the forms of music at that time uh, and and yeah I think I think that piece is it, it's it's so famous I think just because it, it fits so perfectly with the tone of of the movie. Yeah, absolutely. And it's been, and it's just, you know, you don't even have to, I've, again, never seen The Exorcist. I know that song. That song creeps me out and mm. I have no like visual reference for it. I have no, no memories of like hearing it during a scary scene or anything. It's just, it's the time signature. It's mm. the, the key. The It's just, it's, it's very evocative. It absolutely is. Um, before that, of course, we also played, uh, you know, God That's Good from uh, Sweeney Todd. Yes. Which it, 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 I mean, would you call it a horror musical? Because it does it, feel, you know. It, 
Yeah, yeah. It's um, you know written by Stephen Sondheim, but it's based on I, ha- I have the Wikipedia page <gasps> up. Gasp! Uh, but it's it's based on uh, Penny Dreadfuls, mm. um, and also where did I see that? Um, it, it's also a based on like the the gore of it mm. um, is based on. Um, like a French theater, I believe. Oh, okay. Yeah, so there's a what is it called? Grand. I'm looking. I'm trying to look it up right now. It's interesting you mentioned that because um, you recall there's that that you know that there's that wonderful like uh, scene those scenes that take place in Interview with a Vampire where where they they go to this theater yeah in France the, the which is a vampire. Which yeah is, yeah which is portraying uh, the sort of like macabre. Uh, bloody uh, spectacle that uh, you, you perhaps uh, was uh, one of the inspirations yeah. behind behind the musical and that, that type of, of theater. Louis leaning into uh, to Claudia and going, "It's it's it's theater about vampires pretending to be humans pretending to be vampires," and she just goes, "How avant garde!" <laughs> 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 I just love that so much. Yeah. Um, but, uh, well, okay, apparently uh, Sondheim said that it had nothing to do with uh, Grand uh, Guignol, um, which is a, a theater in Paris that I guess was known for, like, sensationalist oh, okay. horror and stuff like that, and, like, kind of all, over-the-top, you know, blood and, and stuff like that, mm. over-the-top horror. Um, so, yeah, but it was, so Sweeney Todd would have been based on, you know, these, these, these lurid tales of, you know, Victorian London... Um, but one thing that always strikes me whenever I listen to, especially that song, mm. that the kid that they have playing Toby, and of course he has the song Not While I'm Around, mm. which is another great song, but that opening where he's just singing that solo, that's hard for an adult to sing. Mm. Uh, the I, I remember hearing somewhere that uh, that Sweeney Todd... The score for it. it's like Sondheim musicals are known for being very complex and somewhat difficult to sing, but this one almost verges on opera, which makes it all the more impressive that uh, not only for this this you know fairly young boy I yeah. don't know how old he was when it, when it was filmed, but you can tell from his voice that he is not yet you know yeah. he hasn't yet undergone a vocal change, uh, but also Helena Bonham Carter, who did not have any sort of like vocal or opera training to my knowledge, mm. is like here one of the most complex female roles in, in Broadway go 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 go. And she did it while she was pregnant. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> Have to give her some props for that. Absolutely. Um, coming up next, though, um, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about what's what's coming up next here? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so way, way, way back when I was in high school, I dated this guy who got a PlayStation. You know, the hot new video oh, game. Yeah. yeah. And... One of one of the things that he would do, uh, we, I'd go over to his house and just hang out, um, and and watch him play video games, which sounds kind of weird and it kind of was, but you know this is brand new technology. I did not have a PlayStation, so like, oh wow, this is cool. Like, I I was enough of a nerd that I you know appreciated video games as an art form. <laughs> uh, so in addition to Final Fantasy VII, which we all know that I'm obsessed with, he also played this game called Castlevania Symphony of the Night. Now, I had tried to play Castlevania games on the NES. Mm-hmm. Uh, you used to be able to go and, like, rent video games. And I played, I think it was Simon's Quest, which is kind oh, of yeah. famous for, like, having a bad translation. And so being, like, almost kind of unplayable uh, <laughs> because you have no idea what's going on. Uh, but Castlevania Symphony of the Night was incredible to just to watch visually. Um, 
the the graphics were not as complex as Final Fantasy VII, but the they were still pretty advanced for their time. Mm. But the one thing that kind of kept me coming back, and and to the point that I actually purchased it, uh, was the soundtrack, mm. uh, written by uh, Michiro Yamane, who, if I recall correctly from watching a documentary on YouTube, wrote this when she was still in college. Uh, wrote an incredible score for a, a very fun game, and so. I'm a big old nerd, and every year in October, Connor has to put up with me watching, like, Let's Plays of, of Castlevania, because I have no patience whatsoever for platformers. Mm. None. No patience. But it's so cool to watch people play this game, because the, the, the backgrounds are incredible, the various, like, you know, weapons are really cool, the different effects that they have, uh, the, the enemies are are inc you know, very well designed and mm. incredible and sometimes like absolutely horrifying and that score just keeps me coming back over and over again uh, so I'm very excited because we're going to be playing a selection of songs from, from Castlevania Symphony of the Night alright let's go ahead and uh, check that out right now <laughs>
Did you know you can donate a car, truck, motorcycle, or other vehicle to BFF.FM? Your donation will directly support, mentor, and provide opportunities for our Bay Area radio DJs. Just call 855-500-RIDE to donate that old vehicle. We accept most cars, trucks, trailers, boats, RVs, motorcycles, off-road vehicles, heavy equipment, and other motorized vehicles. As long as they're in one piece, have an engine, or even towable, we'll take it off your hands. It's easy, convenient, and you'll be directly helping the San Francisco Bay Area music community. Just call 855-500-RIDE to donate today. That's Exemplifying just how far you could push video game music in that era, and a, a, a signal, a sign of where video game soundtracks were going to go in the uh, in the many years since. Uh, you're listening to Third Country Radio on BFF.FM, and you just heard four wonderful tracks from the Castlevania Symphony of the Night original soundtrack. The only Castlevania that matters. <laughs> <laughs> um, those tracks in order I am going to be giving you the, the English translation because unlike my wonderful wife I I have absolutely no concept of how to properly pronounce anything Japanese um, you, but you did just hear in order Dracula's Castle, Marble Gallery Wood Carving Partita and Lost Painting which is the one I always remember uh, whenever we watch any of those a- let's, actual plays, like any of the Let's Plays. It, mm-hmm. It's it's that one, and like there are another couple of tracks that are really familiar to me at this point. Yeah, yeah. It's I think Lost Painting was a very it was. I mean, I loved all of, almost all the songs. There were a couple that were like a little when I say a little too creepy. They were just mm. uh, they're they're very cool tracks, but they were not exactly relaxing listening. It was like okay, this is getting a little eerie. Yeah. Um, 
But yeah, Lost Painting was the first one I remember seeking out on like a MIDI when I was in college. Oh, man. And like, oh, wow, you can download music? What's a MIDI file? Oh, okay. <laughs> and like seeking that out, which I, th I think a lot of these probably were actually, now that I think of it, they, they would have possibly been MIDI files or, mm. or close to it. I unfortunately, I don't know exactly like what audio files would have been used in, you know, in the game at the time. But, yeah. Uh, but yeah, like you said, really kind of pushing the limit of, of what could be done with, with video game music at that time. And I just remember, again, much like with uh, Final Fantasy VII, hearing this stuff and thinking to myself, like, this would be incredible if it could be performed by a full orchestra. Mm. Because you can tell whoever, whoever wrote it, and I, I now know who wrote it, uh, Michiru Yamane, but, uh, you know, at the time I just remember thinking, you know, whoever wrote this, they were not phoning it in. This was not, you know, okay, I'll put, you know... I'll put a drum track down and, and just kind of make some organ, you know, I'll make yeah. it like, you know, like fiddle around on an organ and, and make some like spooky music. Mm. This was real dedication and it really shows. That would be wonderful to hear, like the, to to adapt um, that soundtrack to uh, full orchestration, because uh, you're right, like much, much like the music of Final Fantasy, which uh, we were fortunate enough to hear performed live. Uh, over the summer, um, the the music from Castlevania has it has so much going for it. It's, it is it is it has so much complexity mm -hmm. for uh, the limitations that that you know video game music had at that time. You know, you you, watch, you look at a video game today, like something some some grand epic video game like like an Elden Ring, or or even even something like um, like. Sid Meier's Civilization, uh, Civilization Six. Yeah, with uh, you know Christopher Tin's incredible. That, was that Civ Five? That was Baba Yetu, but uh, mm. but yeah, the, his music, um, the music from Skyrim, mm -hmm. um, the, the the music from The Witcher video yeah. game series is really, really, really yeah. good. It, it's remarkable to think, like these days, we we don't take we and we we just take it for granted that a a, a big AAA video game like like The Witcher Three. Or like you know the or the Civilization series or or Elden Ring or uh, Skyrim, we we just kind of take it for granted that they would have like these you know kind of full orchestral soundtracks to kind of you know, to that really exemplify the, the the scope of these things, and uh, it 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 wasn't in the grand scheme of things that long ago uh, that people were working in really strict confines they, they, yeah. they, they had to get very creative within very limited uh within a very limited range in terms of technology and sounds uh, which makes the soundtrack for symphony of the symphony of the night like all the more impressive yeah there's uh, another another youtube series the pandemic hit me started watching a lot of youtube um <laughs> but there are some great people on there and, and one of them is 8-bit music theory so if you are listening and you're kind of curious about video game music uh from somebody who has studied music theory this this, this individual has and uh, does really great videos about how video game music works and why it works and how it works um and he does an entire series on castlevania music from all kinds of different games and does spend quite a lot of time actually on the symphony of the night soundtrack and some some really valuable and interesting insights there uh, but he also does go into some of the music from the 8-bit video games the old NES, oh yeah and talks about how 
the composer managed to get, like really push to the absolute limit with what they could do with that music. Yeah. So I highly recommend 8-Bit Music Theory. Yeah, definitely worth checking out, uh, especially if, like us, you have a fondness for uh, video game music and and the kind of development of, of that sound from the little bleep bloops of the <laughs> of, of of the stone age to uh yeah the looping mario brothers theme to yeah. now you know the I, I always go back to the skyrim soundtrack you know full orchestra with mm. chorus or you know blind guardian doing the like this <laughs> this like eight minute long song called sacred worlds report recorded on two separate continents with two separate orchestras for the opening track to a video yeah. game <laughs> soundtrack <laughs> Oh, man. Well, uh, we are blasting through uh, the show here um, today. We're almost at the top of the, uh, the the hour here, almost at the end of our first hour. Uh, but we still have plenty of music we want to share with you. Um, we're going to go back to uh, Danny Elfman and back to Tim Burton for our next track um, from a, a movie which, again, you would not necessarily call it a horror, but... It has it, it. It touches on you know concepts of death and the supernatural, and has some very freakish like visuals yeah. that that you know at a certain age would mess you up as bad as any any horror movie. I can't remember how old I was when I first saw it, but yeah, like the it was not a jump scare movie. It was not a gore movie, but it the, the some of the visuals in it were quite. Uh, Quite unsettling. Absolutely. You probably have a have a good idea of what we're going to be playing for you next. So let's go ahead and jump right by right back into the music and jump right into this. Uh, this is of course by Danny Elfman mm-hmm. uh, and uh, from a, a collection of his work called Music for a Darkened Theater. Yes. Uh, it is the title track, the opening uh, music for Beetlejuice.
when I look in my window So many different people to be It's strange Sure is strange You got to pick up every stitch You got to pick up every stitch Do rabbits running in Lord and perhaps unexpected music from horror movies. You are listening to Third Country Radio here on BFF.FM, Best Frequencies Forever. We started that off with a, uh, a movie that Connor and I were kind of debating. Is it horror? Is it comedy? Is it both? Uh, you heard the theme from Beetlejuice by Danny Elfman. Then after that, Cat People Putting Out the Fire by David Bowie from the movie Cat People, which I guess is a remake of mm. a movie that came out in the 40s early 50s yeah cat people had uh, cat people are kind of famous for um like being one of the first horror like it has a very popular um uh reputation as uh having one of the first jump scares oh wow in a (laughs) in a in a horror movie uh but yeah the um the uh, original cat people was uh was from 1942 interesting yeah yeah, it's it's funny because you think like cat people. That's kind of a weird, you know, like what what's scary about that? But I guess it, it's not so much like a you know big gory scary scary kind of horror. It's it's more like suspenseful or just kind of like supernatural oddness. Mm. Um, so something maybe to check out. I mean, if David Bowie was on the soundtrack for the remake, how bad could it possibly be? <laughs> and then uh, after that, you heard "Season of the Witch" by Donovan, which I think was originally written as kind of a social commentary on. The, the social changes and, and to a certain extent social upheaval of the late 60s, early mm. 70s. But of course, you put the word witch in anything and every <laughs> every horror movie dealing with magic is going to try to cram that song in there somewhere or a cover of it. And it's, you know, it's kind of a fun song. It's got, it's got an autumnal feel to it. So Yeah, and it, it's very funny. Um, I, I don't know because I know there's a Nicolas Cage movie called Season of the Witch. And I don't know if it has any version of the song on it. Uh, I do know there is a version of that song on the uh, 1973 season of The Witch, which uh, which is it, it? It's difficult to call it a horror movie. It was it, it was more of a kind of like drama with some supernatural elements. It, it, it was. It was directed, written and directed by George A. Romero, uh, who is most famous for his uh, Living Dead series of movies. Uh, but he 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 made um, all sorts of of, of weird uh, and 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 striking um, movies uh, in, over over the length of his of his career. And Season of the Witch, it, it's a 
it's it's a it's a meditation i guess on like suburban like lives for you know like like the like like basically women kind of trapped in suburbia and how they might try to find ways to um, kind of push against the, the 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 confines in which they've been placed you know the the central character she is a little bit older she's in a marriage with a man who travels a lot for work so he's not often around they have like a they have a daughter who's like in her like late teens you know like basically practically ready to move out herself so so you know it, she's in this weird place where she doesn't really have anything that is hers she's kind of it, it was it was originally kind of like made under the title Jack's wife which was supposed to be kind of like basically this representation that she is basically just just the wife um uh, and but it but it also uh it also features like all of the women on her block secretly being part of like a coven of witches who uh who eventually kind of like uh induct her into the coven and <laughs> And, it, and 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 it's it's strange because it's it's kind of eventually that that it, it it's it's a it's a it's a it's a curious film that ex- examines ideas of female empowerment by uh, by women coming together to support one another. Just in this case, you know, they're they're supporting one another because they're all witches. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Which was kind of interesting because I think that okay, so there's there's two reasons why it's interesting. It's yeah. first is because I think that kind of speaks to the social anxiety at the time mm. of you know because you had like you know the women's liberation movement. You had more women wanting to work out outside the home. You had more women kind of questioning like, is this really it? Like, is this going to be my my life? Mm. Is, of, you know, just being a wife and and you know cleaning a house and cooking dinner when my husband comes home and otherwise just kind of doing nothing. And, uh, you know, there was a certain degree of anxiety about, you know, that particular realization for women as they were like, well, wait a minute, like, I I want more for myself than to just sit at home and do nothing. Mm -hmm. But also, you know, some anxiety from, uh, we'll say more conservative aspects of society who are going, but, you know, if women leave the house, then who will do the laundry? (laughs) Um, Also, and... The second reason why it is interesting, this just goes to show that I need to get out of the house more. Because as you're describing this, I just heard a line from uh, Space Mutiny, uh, Mystery Science Theater 3000, where I think it's Tom Servo, and I can't believe I know who said that <laughs> line. Uh, but basically, there's a, a gathering of, of female psychic aliens, and they're doing this weird dance. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and Tom Servo says, eh, you know, anytime there's a bunch of women gathering together, you know, it's either a wedding shower or witchcraft. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm paraphrasing there. I know I probably bungled that, but that is the essence of the quote. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it's... It's... it's, it's an interesting film and uh it does nothing to to um uh to to counter tom servo's comment um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry it's just it, it that's you know mm-hmm. that, that's how my mind works these days <laughs> i think that's how everyone's mind has to work these days millennial kind of, humor is just non-stop referencing ref- other humor it's just referencing yeah. other humor like i like i found out um yesterday that like a whole bunch of people in our sort of social circle like you know acquaintances and friends and that 
like have never seen the simpsons like i i like a couple what? a couple like on a discord that we're on um because you know that's the other thing that the millennial millennials do now uh we're all just we all just talk to each other on discord uh but yeah like like two or three people like just saying like yeah i've never seen any of the simpsons i saw the movie but i've never watched the tv show is it is this the point where we find a heavily forested, a large heavily forested area somewhere in our country, our, our great beautiful country, and hold hands and just walk into it and never return, you know, just let these young people take over as we, you know, shuffle off into obscurity. Well, you never know, we might go in there and find like, you know, like... M- a, millennials. A, find millennials. Yeah. Or... Or a glowing figure that comes wandering towards us with big eyes going, I bring you love. <laughs> That's just Mr. Burns. <laughs> That's just a reference that people we know aren't going to get. So I'm like, 60% of my humor is based on Simpsons references. Now what do I do? (laughs) Um, Speaking of the 90s. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Um, The next movie, people will say, that's not a horror movie. But I think the director of this movie needs to get it out of his system and go and make a straight horror film. Because whenever he he like whenever he makes any kind of action movie, uh, he inevitably inevitably includes some kind of scene which freaks you out. He made ostensibly a children's movie that contained multiple scenes that even as an adult. When you're, you 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 could process it as an adult when you're a kid you're terrified when you're an adult you're going like wow this guy should make a horror movie yeah he made a a, a movie uh, about uh, uh sort of like the the beauty uh, of of music as a way to connect us across space and time and 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 find uh, frater- fraternity uh, even with beings beyond our comprehension and he started it with a terrifying attack on a young mother and her child yes I remember I remember seeing that on TV and my dad being like oh wow it's a movie by you'll find out in a second and me just being like that's impossible he doesn't make those kind of movies yeah. this is scary yeah. <laughs> Uh, who, of course, are we talking about? We are, we are talking about Steven Spielberg, yeah. who makes amazing films across all kinds of genres. But when he wants to ramp up the tension, there, there's... I am not a film scholar, but for my money, uh, speaking as, you know, one of the people who's... Who, who might, you know, one of my favorite criteria of, like, is it a good movie is, is there a wizard in it? Um, <laughs> he... From for my money does some of the best suspense in mm. cinema. Yeah. So we wanted to share a piece of music which you may not consider uh, is coming from a horror movie, but if you have ever sat down and watched anything involving the Velociraptors in <laughs> Jurassic Park, absolutely, it is absolutely brimming with the same same kind of suspense and terror you would feel watching any kind of slasher flick. Yes. So what is coming up next? Uh, What is coming up next is the wonderful, unsettling, terrifying music from The Raptor Attack.
BFF.FM is based on a simple model. We do something really well, and then we count on those who appreciate what we do to show their support. Every great song you hear on BFF.FM comes through the support of listeners who appreciate the local community treasure that BFF.FM is and want to help ensure it continues playing for everybody. When you consider the power of independent local music, it keeps your day in tune. This vital service so dependent on listener support deserves your support today. Donate now at BFF.FM.
comes of the cosmic moon. Bullock stamps and deer chaps now shrilly sing cuckoo. throwback to our show at the start of the month where we examined folk horror and neo-folk and all the wonderful spookiness that can come out of that. Uh, that was a, a, a medley of very, very nice, pleasant songs uh, from, <laughs> from the original soundtrack to The Wicker Man. Uh, that was Festival... Myri it is, and of course, summer is a coming in. Yes, uh, which if you've ever heard like an actual performance of, of uh, summer is a coming in, which is a song from I think it dates all the way back to like the twelfth century or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's actually quite it's quite festive. It's quite fun. Yeah, uh, and one of the things that I love about that three song set is that it kind of shows that it's all about set and setting. Mm. Uh, so you know. The, the mindset of the director, whoever's setting up a scene, and then, you know, the setting of, of you know, wherever this music is being performed or taking place in movies. Uh, because uh, Summer is a coming in, originally a, a song about the joys of summer, mm. being very excited that, you know, hey, the long, cold winter is gone, and there's, like, food and stuff now. We can eat. Everything will be okay. And then in this movie, which, admittedly, I've never seen, uh, that, that song becomes this dirge. Mm. Because... Summer is a coming in, and there will be a, a harvest because we're putting a dude in a giant wooden man. <laughs> yeah. And we're if it if 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 the only thing standing between us and a good harvest is one dude, <laughs> <laughs> one dude in a giant in a giant uh, in a giant person, and you know what, dude, yeah. dude's going in there. Yeah, which uh, which is uh, in and of itself a horrifying examination oh, yeah. of what what humans are willing to do. Mm. To satisfy whatever needs they have. Yeah, you know, we are of course talking about the Wicker Man. Oh yeah, sorry, uh, I probably should have mentioned that. No, it's okay. <laughs> I was thinking if, it in if, my mind. If people don't understand, if people at this point don't know where Summer is coming in, like that rendition of it is from, then they need to they they need to to read more books and watch more movies, because <laughs> um, that is uh, yeah. So that was. Uh, of course, from the Wicker Man, and and as you say, as you as you, uh, you know, as you put it, like yeah, the, the how this music is used in the context of the film can have a a a, a, a jarring effect at times, mm-hmm. or can have just a right effect. For example, uh, before that medley from the Wicker Man, you heard the Blue Rat, which is by I Monster, and. Um, it's uh, it's from their album originally, Never Odd or Even. But if you're a horror fan, you might be more familiar 
uh, with it on the soundtrack of Shaun of the Dead. Yes, I believe that is the first song that we hear in Shaun mm. of the Dead. He's kind of going about his humdrum, you know, workaday life before everything goes a bit pear-shaped. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, Shaun of the Dead is is another great example of a of a of a movie that is a comedy, but. Uh, because it is a horror comedy, and because it was made by uh, by by people who were are, are steeped in uh, the the movies of George A. Romero, as well as you know '90s horror video games like Resident Evil, etc., uh, etc. Et it, it, you know they they understand what needs to go into uh, even a, even a comedy like that uh, in order for it to. Um, in order for it to 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 uh, really have 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 the horror feel that that you need to have, if you don't feel that the uh, characters are in danger from this supernatural cosmic threat, then the the humor doesn't really hit in the same way. Because part of what makes it funny is that. Um, you know, uh, uh, this this group of normal, somewhat dumb, uh, <laughs> absolutely unprepared um, people uh, are faced with, uh, with 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 an existential threat, and uh, and society as a whole is faced with that threat, and so how they deal with it is 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 what makes it so funny, and then when and that's also why. When you have serious moments, when you have scary moments, uh, it, it works so well. Yeah, absolutely. Know? Yeah. And we kick things off there with um, the raptor attack, which is from the soundtrack of Jurassic Park, which, again, uh, it is another great example because the, the movie Jurassic Park is, you know, it, it's this action, adventure, science fiction uh, film, you know, it, it, it's it's you know, it was. I, I, don't, I think I don't know what its rating was. I'm I'm assuming it was probably PG thirteen here in the states, uh, just for the kind of um, uh, um, scarier elements of it. Uh, but again, when you're dealing with certain aspects of it, like like Spielberg understood that that. The, the raptors, the velociraptors, were going to be the the kind of major threat, and so uh, he made sure in in visually representing that threat to 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 make them as as scary as possible. Like when we first when we're introduced to them, we don't see them; we just hear them, and mm-hmm. we hear what they do uh, when 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 like an animal is put into the pen to feed them even before that at the very beginning of the movie yeah. when they're being transported yeah. in yeah we don't we don't get a we don't get to see a full example like we don't we only see close-ups of like parts of it and we just hear it and we see what it's doing and 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 the panic on on in the voice of of in the voices of the people around it yeah as, as, a, as a person gets dragged into their enclosure it's mm. uh, um again showing that i have not really seen much in the way of horror movies i've never seen alien mm. but i always like growing up i always imagined that like oh this must be like everybody talks about how scary alien is this must be what alien is like because we don't really see yeah you know we don't really see it. we just see people getting like you know getting sucked into this this mysterious 
vacuum. You do make you do make a very good point there because uh, I have seen Alien uh, <laughs> quite a bit. It's, it's one of one of my favorite horror movies, and um, again, yeah, we we catch glimpses of this creature. Um, we you know we don't see it. Um, we don't we don't see the full extent of the violence it can enact. Uh, for the most part, we only catch glimpses of that violence, and we catch kind of like glimpses of what this thing can do. We we only see its full body um, in in flashes, and uh, and because of that, it's all the more terrifying. And uh, yes, yeah, Spielberg does the same thing with the with the raptors, um, even more so than the than the T-Rex, you know, like there's a lot of build up there. But then I think you, you see the scope of the T-Rex and, and what makes, you know, it, it you get a sense of awe because of the size of this, this, this basically monster. And then and, but you get the fear from the raptors because they're like human sized and they can go anywhere you go and they can get there faster. Yeah. Um, and also, you know, I think with it, with the T-Rex, little kids love T-Rexes. So there's always mm -hmm. that sense, like you said, of awe and wonder like, Oh wow, there it is. An actual T-Rex. But the way, and it's, it's clearly intelligent. Like mm -hmm. it, you know, it, it, in, in the scene where it's like going after the cars, uh, it, it does know what it's about. It knows what it wants, but there's only one. Yeah. And it's a little bit more of a base intelligence, like more, mm -hmm. more animalistic intelligence. Yeah. Whereas it's emphasized repeatedly throughout the film that the Raptors hunt in packs, they can coordinate, they communicate with each other, they strategize. Yeah. And so, you know, in addition to having a dinosaur that is human size, that can go where you can go, you're also dealing with a, an animal that can also kind of think like you, mm. which adds another layer of complexity and frankly terror because yeah. they know how to hide, they know how to not camouflage themselves, but you know, they know how to conceal. Yeah. Um, I already said hide, but you know, they, they, they know like how to cut you off. They know, you know, presumably kind of like the most logical escape routes and where they need to be and that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, the, the T-Rex was scary. The Velociraptors were even scarier. Props to John Williams as well, because yes. the, the composer here, John Williams, who has a reputation and, and perhaps it's well warranted for, you know, for bombast, for, you know, uh, a sense of awe, you know, a sense of adventure, a sense of excitement. All of like, which is contained in the all, score. All of which is contained in the score. But also, much like Spielberg, who is a great director and surrounds himself with great with great crew, knows when to scale back and knows when to like like trust forward. Like John Williams, like he knew what the main theme to Jurassic Park needed to fill you with that sense of awe, but then he also knew exactly how to peel it back and and we heard it in that piece there. Like yeah. just like the constant rise and fall and, and, and constant like sense of danger, which which is just again the sign of like one of America's greatest composers, certainly one of the greatest film composers to ever have done it. A absolutely. Like, what other composer could tell the two sides of the same coin of like, you know, the miracles of science, but also the horrors of it, mm. you know? Absolutely. Um, we are, we are, uh, unfortunately, like, you know, we are, we are coming closer and closer to the end of our show, but we did want to pay tribute to another 
horror, supernatural, science fiction, like basically mainstay uh, in our, in both of our <laughs> lives, really. Okay, so you had it too. Oh yeah, absolutely loved this show. Basically from from the moment I first saw it, you know, I was <laughs> I was hooked right from the start, and and have never been freaked out by a TV show <laughs> like I was freaked out by this show. Of course, the X Files. Yeah, absolutely. I I did not see Twin Peaks until I was much much older, mm. uh, so I didn't really have a frame of reference. My dad, I think, was the one who introduced me to the X Files, and once again, it's it was all you know a broad majority of it like weird paranormal stuff, mm. stuff that you know while it while it terrified me, also fascinated me. I could not get enough of this show, even the episodes that gave me like really terrifying nightmares mm. you know, like the, the the episodes where you'd be lying awake hearing the house settle and going like oh god what's that yeah oh man <laughs> so many times i went yeah. to sleep being like what was that noise exactly. was that an alien or a monster or some dude who can just scratch himself yeah which is really you know, like <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah, we want to play. We want to play. Get you a couple of tracks from from that show, uh, starting of course with that classic team from X Files. Thank you. 
Every day, BFF.FM strengthens communities across our region by sharing superb music with everyone. Music to connect people with each other and the community they're part of. Carefully curated programs on BFF.FM enrich and engage with music you know and surprise you with music new to your years. Music on BFF.FM just makes any day better. Your donation to BFF.FM is an investment in the power of music to uplift, to connect all of us together. Please take a moment now to invest in the power of music at BFF.FM. <laughs> Sometimes we walk hand in hand by the sea And we breathe in the cool salty air You turn to me with a kiss in your eyes And my heart feels a thrill beyond compare song probably requires some explanation, which I will get to in a second. But first, you are listening to Third Country Radio here on BFF.FM, Best Frequencies Forever. So uh, before um, our, our that last series of songs there, we had talked about The X-Files and mm-hmm. how much Connor and I loved The X-Files. And, and part of loving a show like that is that you have favorite episodes, you have like kind of least favorite episodes, and then you have episodes that just kind of stay with you. Yeah. And... 
first I should introduce the two songs that we played there. Uh, first was the X-Files theme written by Mark Snow. Uh, that comes from the X-Files Songs in the Key of X. After that, you heard Wonderful, Wonderful, which is a song by Johnny Mathis that comes from the album The Essential Johnny Mathis. And you're probably wondering, why would we play that? Was that a mistake? Was that something that we threw in as kind of like a little Easter egg or something, you know, just kind of goofy to, to, to break up the tension? <laughs> no. Um, Far from it. Yeah. There was an episode of The X-Files that I remember seeing. And I don't remember every single solitary detail, but I remember enough. The episode, if you want to go look it up, on Wikipedia or the uh, or the wiki of your choice is called Home. And that episode aired once and it never aired again mm. because of the themes contained within the episode. And I remember watching that episode and thinking to myself, I really hope that my parents don't walk in as I'm watching this because they will be beyond horrified and I will never be able to watch this show again <laughs> but in that episode uh, the the subjects of the episode the, the people that uh, Mulder and Scully are investigating drive around in an old car and every time they're in that old car driving around at night mind you uh, so you don't actually see their faces you just see their silhouettes in this car kind of like you know, back a little, little bit from the uh, from the illumination coming off the road and their and their uh, their headlights. This, that song, the Johnny Mathis song, is playing, and I remember seeing that episode. Mm-hmm. It was a Friday night because it was showed on a Fridays. Yep. There was the weekend, and then on Monday I had to go to school, and our school started ridiculously early. It started like seven a.m., so it's dark when we're going to school. My stepdad is driving me there. He happened to get. Oh the God. essential Johnny Mathis from the library, totally unbeknownst. This is a yeah, total coincidence. Yeah. We are we are in the car, and I'm like, "Oh, who is this? This sounds familiar." He goes, "Oh, it's Johnny Mathis." That song oh, comes no. on the seat, yeah, and I'm just like eyes wide with yeah. utter terror. I recall we had a conversation about this particular episode of the X Files. How how it was only broadcast once. Uh, the only episode of the X Files to get a TV MA yes. rating. Um, the only one to come with a viewer discretion uh, message at the beginning. And uh, I remember you, you you mentioned the title to me. And I was like, you know, it, it had been a long time. It had been like literally decades since I'd seen like that season, you know. And I recall uh, thinking, I don't remember that one. I, I don't, and then you, then you started describing it and goes, oh, wait, hold on a second. Yeah, I, I remember that one. You don't. Yeah, that was that was one of the most like you want to talk about a horror team show horror team month that was one of the most horrific absolutely things i'd ever seen <laughs> uh <laughs> so well done x-files uh you freaked us out uh yeah, yeah. um so yeah uh fortunately we have come to the end well fortunately unfortunately we hope you've enjoyed the last two hours 
of music from some of our favorite horror shows and TVs, uh, TV shows and movies and video games. Uh, but we're going to leave you with, uh, with one more track from uh, one more favorite from Katie. Yes, uh, one more song from Castlevania Symphony of the Night. You're going to be hearing Finale Toccata, which is the song that plays when you're on your way to go defeat Dracula. All right, so until next uh, next time, stay safe out there, everybody. Keep your stakes sharp. Yes, make art, love life. Thank <laughs> you.